This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on. Like the Kubota BX and L01 Series Compact Tractors. Part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup. Rated number one for reliability. And Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles. Where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. Hi, I'm Anna, and I'm an indie vet. I'm also on my first vacation in five years. That's because Indie Vets truly puts vets first. I've got control of my schedule, plenty of ships that fit my life, and a team like no other. Indie Vets, a whole new way to vet. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. This episode, I'll be talking to Alex Goldberg from the YouTube channel, The Byline. Alex is a huge Chelsea supporter, and he's on to share his thoughts on the upcoming derby between Chelsea and Fulham. This is our view of the opposition show, which is our preview for this upcoming match. I look forward to doing the show, but before I do anything, I have to welcome my guest to the show. He is a friend of mine. Alex, welcome to Cottage Talk. How you doing? <laughs> Russ. What an honor to be on Cottage Talk. Obviously, I've known of this show for a while, been a fan of it. As you said, we are friends on the side, but it's uh, definitely a professional honor to make my debut on Cottage Talk. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great having you on. I look forward to talking about Chelsea and Fulham in this episode. But before we do that, I want our audience to learn a little bit about you. I've known you now for a few years. You are a huge Chelsea supporter. Your Twitter account has gone up a huge amount recently, and uh, a lot of Chelsea supporters are following you now. You also are a producer for an excellent podcast, the Couchyland podcast, about football in Italy. So definitely you should be checking that out. If you do not listen to David Amoyal and, of course, Alex here, you should be checking that out. But let's focus on, my friend, your YouTube channel, and then also your time as a Chelsea supporter. I'm curious how the Chelsea supporters have taken to you. Obviously, they're following you on Twitter and also watching your YouTube videos, which are very good. 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Russ. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of work backwards. I'll, I'll work in the order that it all happened. I mean, you know, I, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, like you, Russ, uh, or at least the area. And uh, as a kid, I grew up only really like in the American sports. But I would say like 10, 12 years ago, I really started getting into football. Of course, we're talking about uh, soccer, but, you know, we'll just say football because that's what's appropriate. That's right. And, uh, yeah, Chelsea was just they were just my first love. Um Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, Ashley Cole, some players like that were just the players I was drawn to, whether I was watching them or playing FIFA, which is a common story for for many people my age living here in America. Maybe it was FIFA that got us into it. But uh, yeah, I started watching Chelsea pretty religiously, and it's now been a while. It's certainly not been as long as maybe some of my peers in the UK, but um, I've definitely, I'm a fan, Russ. You probably know this. I'm either in or I'm not in it at all. And if I'm in, I'm all in. (laughs) And I'm You're watching all every game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm watching every game, preseason games, overanalyzing them, getting too passionate. Um, so, you know, that's me in a nutshell. Chelsea, I just live and breathe. I choose colors and things based on Chelsea. I mean, I'm, I'm always thinking about them. It's just a running joke uh, with any loved ones in my life uh, or friends. So, you know, you mentioned uh, the YouTube channel and um, I started a YouTube channel probably like a month and a half ago. And I only did it because of just the great support I was getting on Twitter when, yep. you know, funny uh, Russ, everything comes full circle because I may not have a YouTube channel. If a Fulham, a current Fulham player was never in the rumors back in, I want to say June, or maybe if it was even May, that would be Jean Michael Seri. You'll remember yep. he was rumored to originally be coming to Chelsea I when he was at Nice. And uh, I don't know, I was getting carpal tunnel one day, Russ. And, um, you know, I, I only mentioned how many followers I had because it, it, it all coincides. I probably had around like 2000 followers on Twitter. And I just was getting sick and tired of tweeting. Um, my, my hands were getting tired, as I just said. And I just thought I was home alone. I'd put out a video, give quick thoughts on why I wasn't totally enamored with Jean-Michael Serry. I certainly by no means was bashing the player. I actually gave him quite a few compliments, but I was just kind of refuting a couple things I was seeing on Twitter about what Jean-Michael Serry would do for Chelsea. And, you know, it was a fairly well-received. And then I just got some requests from people to do more and, the summer transfer window, as you know, Russ, as, as a fan of Fulham, but also as a Premier League fan this summer, the summer transfer window was crazy with the World Cup and the window ending early. So I was constantly putting out Twitter videos that um, I was lucky enough to have good reception for. And as the summer went on, people just said, start your own YouTube channel, start your own YouTube channel. And my trepidation way, was I'm, that as well. I actually encouraged Yes, you did, Russ. So I'm sorry to cut you out there, Russ, and give everyone else credit. But no, you absolutely did as well. And, um, you know, I had trepidation about it because I am not really into the glitz and the glamour of, like, video producing. I'm much more familiar, I think, like you, with audio and podcasting. Um, So I I warned everybody, if I do a YouTube channel, it's not going to be all sparkly with great graphics and stuff. And they said, that's fine. Just keep doing what you've been doing. Just raw reactions on YouTube. And uh I've been doing that for like a month and a half now, and it's been fun. I'm, I'm still barely even um, doing what I plan to do. I'm probably putting out like two videos a week when I really want to be putting out three or four. Um, but yeah, it's been fun, and I, I hope I can ramp it up even more and eventually have you on the byline and get your thoughts the same way you're getting my thoughts. Well, I'd be happy to do that, Alex. And what's interesting about you is that you're extremely outspoken about Chelsea. You are passionate beyond belief. And that's why you have so many Twitter followers. Now you have almost, I can't believe I was just looking, you have almost 33,000 
Twitter followers. Like you said, when I remember years ago, you were like only at like 2,000. Now you're at 33,000. And this has to do with your passion for Chelsea Football Club and your outspoken views on it. Positive, negative, whatever you believe, you put it out there. And obviously that has some good things and some bad things that go with it, Alex. So I'm curious, obviously you have a lot of followers, but what has been the response to your unique brand of uh, talking about Chelsea Football Club, your honesty? How has that been viewed? Yeah, uh, it's you know you're asking me at a fun time because I would say these last couple of weeks, um, because maybe of the amount of followers I've gained, these last couple of weeks I've, I've definitely experienced maybe the negative side of being so honest and and being different, I guess you could say, and having this amount of followers. So I, I've definitely run into some people who I, I don't want to single them out from being from one region, but maybe just people who I like to say are just a little bit more old fashioned and don't necessarily like to hear negative things said about their club, whether it's about the club or just specific players. But overall, Russ, I would say that my style has worked for me. And I think you would agree. We we both once again are from the Boston area and we are spoiled with our teams here in Boston. They're all tremendous. They win all the time. Um, And it's really something we shouldn't take for granted yet. No. If you turn on sports radio where we are, if if you didn't know how well our teams were doing, you would think they were terrible because it's constant <laughs> negativity. And That's right. it's it's not necessarily something I do cognizantly. I, I don't ever, ever think like I want to be negative, even though Chelsea just won three nothing. I'm going to spin it negative. That's certainly not ever my plan. I, I just do maybe because of where I grew up have a knack for looking at maybe issues that people aren't looking at when everyone just looks at the wins and losses. Um, Obviously Chelsea are a big team, so they're used to winning more than they are to losing. And I think if we just pretend like everything is awesome, we don't really get the good conversations going. My thing is, and and I've always tried to make this apparent when people are like, come on, you're talking about this player too much. or You're being too negative. Just relax. Enjoy. My thing is I never cross the boundary, in my opinion, at least. I I will never throw like a personal low blow at a player. Um, I'm I'm never going to step out of bounds. Maybe I single out players uh, a little bit too much for people's taste. Maybe I have my favorites and least favorites. And and I think that's true to a certain extent. But as I've said the last couple of weeks to some people who have had some exceptions with how I talk about my team, at some point this year, I've said something negative about every player on Chelsea, even at an Hazard. And at some point, I've wow. said something. Com- yeah. And at some point, I've said something complimentary of every player on Chelsea. Even even William? Who, even William. Even William. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just I'm a lot. I get it. I, I can be a little much. I can be a little um, loud. And if you want to say obnoxious, that's fine. My feelings really aren't hurt by it. But I'm never trying to ruffle people's feathers it's just kind of my style i think for the most part it's worked for me but i think it's really important for people to know for me at least and i know you know this russ so it helps when good friends of mine like you can can vouch for me it's genuine it's definitely genuine i'm never doing or or tweeting things or doing these it's not an act with you alex no and i'm not doing it for clicks you know i i think many people think oh well he went from 2,000 followers to 33,000 followers. He's just going to continue doing what got him all those followers. That's just not my plan. I care way less about that. I just care about talking about football. And um, I I like to have good conversations, good debates. Russ, you and I have had heated debates before, but 
we're good about knowing that it stays on the pitch. You know, we, we don't throw personal low blows. And I think it's important for people to know that I won't do that. Absolutely. And we might have to get to our debate when we talk about some of the uh, Chelsea players, because uh, I have a little thought that I want to share when we talk about that in just a bit, my friend. But let's start with just talking about the Chelsea season so far. After that, we'll go in to talking a little bit about the last match against Tottenham. I know you have some very interesting uh, observations on that match, so we'll get to that separately. But let's talk all the way up to the point of the Tottenham match. Your thoughts on Chelsea's season? I mean, overall, in a nutshell, it's been tremendous because if you think about the fact that they hired Maurizio Sarri only a couple weeks before the season started, I mean, the whole Antonio Conte saga really dragged on for way too long. And then it was a World Cup summer, so that really affects how quickly you can get your new manager in and, more importantly, get players in for that manager. So considering the fact that Chelsea really only brought in one or two players for Maurizio Sarri, and I would say Jorginho obviously was the – the big one for sorry, but you could say Kovacic maybe was, was for sorry, but nonetheless, I mean, they didn't bring in all these players for Maurizio sorry. I mean, they brought in Kepa, the keeper, um, but that was more because Courtois was on his way out. Nonetheless, I mean, I thought Chelsea were going to experience some hiccups at the start of the season. That's just normal when you bring in a new manager and he's bringing a whole new philosophy to the club. I think that was my big thing is the last couple managers Chelsea have had and Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho, it's no secret. Those are more defensive style managers. So Chelsea were set up more defensively with their personnel. So the fact that they bring in Maurizio Sarri, who was a very attacking minded manager, I just thought it would take some time because their, their personnel and their roster, sorry, not roster. That's an American word as people have pointed out <laughs> to me, but their, their team sheet was more tailored for defensive style managers. So the fact that they just lost their first game, Russ, on Saturday in all yep. in any competition. I mean, Chelsea were up and unbeaten up until this point this past Saturday. Um, it's super impressive. So it you is. know, they, you know, I I can be ultra critical and I can find things where there are problems, but on a surface, and I even said it after I did a video on Saturday when I was not surprisingly pretty pissed off I still said at the end hey what Maurizio Sarri is doing is still remarkable and very impressive so I think the fact that even at the beginning of the season when Chelsea came out really roaring and they were playing great football people were mentioning them maybe in the same breath as competing with the City or Liverpool even though I think that's now come back down a little bit more to earth I think it's clear that Chelsea still have a long way to go um, I'm really pleased Russ I, it's, it's been a great start it should be. It has been for Chelsea, and uh, we'll get more into it. I definitely want more thoughts from you on Sari in just a second. Before we do that, I now want to talk about the Tottenham Hotspur match, which you probably just want to move on from. But there's some interesting observations that come from this match. I want your thoughts on it. You've already talked about this on your YouTube channel, so I thought this is a great chance to talk about it again on Cottage Talk. It's the situation with Jorginho and Conte from this match. So let's talk a little bit about that. This was a loss for Chelsea. And these two players, uh, there's been a lot of talk of how they were used in this match. Talk about Conte and Jorginho. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually a really good day to ask me because Maurizio Sarri had his press conference earlier today. And that was definitely one of the questions that was asked to him is, is the partnership between Jorginho and Conte and more specifically just how Chelsea line up in the midfield because yep. this this game against Tottenham on Saturday Jorginho was bad I mean he was bad and I like Jorginho so um I you know I would try and say something positive but no I have to call a spade a spade he was just bad 
And the game before the international break actually was against Everton and Chelsea had a nil-nil draw. And drawing Russ to Everton when you're Chelsea at Stamford Bridge is pretty unacceptable. I mean, right. you, you should be beating that. an Everton side at Stamford Bridge, but they couldn't. And once again, Jorginho was, was less effective. Now, much of that is because Everton and Tottenham had great approaches to Jorginho. They were really surrounding him. If anybody watched Napoli last year, they could plainly see that Jorginho was the metronome to everything Napoli did. He, he parks himself in the middle of the pitch, but as a deep-lying uh, playmaking midfielder, uh, so, sort of how Cesc Fabregas would in, in his prime for Chelsea, and that's only three, four years ago, but sure. he really likes to dictate from deep. But in a 4-3-3, Jorginho is, is hugely crucial because he is – Sorry's all about quick passing. So he's passing left and right, and he's directing everyone where to go and where to pass. Now, it's been no secret that he is the metronome, so Everton and Tottenham decided, wait a minute. Let's surround Jorginho. Let's make this really hard on Jorginho. If we can stop Jorginho from being comfortable, then maybe we can stop Chelsea altogether. Now, that was really apparent in the Tottenham game. And I, I'm glad, once again, you asked me today because uh, Sorry finally shed some light on what Conte could maybe do to help Jorginho. Because all this week, Russ, and I talked about it on my video that you watched on yep. the Byline, the YouTube channel, all this week after the Tottenham game, all these Chelsea fans were saying either switch Conte and Jorginho because Conte is a quote-unquote defensive midfielder. So if you were to put him furthest back, he'd be playing more of a CDM. But my problem with that is that's not what the role is in this sorry team. It's not a CDM role. It's a regista role. Jorginho is not playing CDM even though he's furthest back. He's playing a regista role. He, he's distributing. So if people wanted to switch Conte and Jorginho, it doesn't make sense. Yes, it's the area where you would play a defensive midfielder, but it's but still it's not the role. same. It's not the right. role, exactly. So, and then some people went too far and said just drop Jorginho, which is ludicrous and I'm not even going to spend any more time on. But <laughs> I, I think uh, Sorry really hit the nail on the head. Something I said in my video was maybe an in-game adjustment could be having Conte come help Jorginho, especially when Chelsea are defending. Now, Sorry finally said today, yes, Conte got a little too attacking happy and and that's you know that that's bound to happen because he is playing a newer position he's playing like a right center mid and he is supposed to help the team more attacking than he used to be able to or used to have to and they really Chelsea were getting caught with their pants down when the opposition was attacking if you look at Tottenham's goals it was really the midfield that was not defending well now I am not shy about getting on David Luiz and Marcos Alonso on their defending but Sarri really was less unhappy with his defenders and he was more unhappy with his midfielders and his attackers. And more specifically, if you watch the Tottenham goals, the midfield is in shambles. So totally agree. I saw I, that. Yeah. Something that I really hope happens and Sarri suggested this is when Chelsea are defending, maybe N'Golo Conte can drop further with Jorginho. Now when Chelsea are on the attack, when they're possessing the ball, Conte should go back to right center mid and let Jorginho dictate from deep. But it's certainly something that Chelsea are going to have to work on. Um, but I try not to overreact because don't people realize that Napoli faced the same challenge last year? It was very clear that Jorginho was their metronome. It wasn't like Napoli was never challenged and they never, uh, opposition teams in Serie A never tried to surround Jorginho. It's just going to take some time. The Premier League is a more physical league. And I think the continuity and the chemistry with Conte and Jorginho and Kovacic will build. And uh, hopefully, uh, not for you, Russ, but hopefully yeah. for Chelsea, it'll happen against Fulham. 
Let's hope not for my sake. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that that way, my friend. All right, let's go back and let's talk about sorry. And uh, obviously, it's been a great start of the season. This is actually, believe it or not, Alex, a good situation for you losing. You don't never like to lose, but it's how does he learn from this loss? What does he take out of this loss? So I think, in a way, this could benefit Chelsea in the long term, losing to Tottenham. I, I know it, it's terrible to lose, but you can take a lot out of a loss. So I'll be curious to see how he reacts. Hopefully he won't react too well against Fulham. We'll see how that plays <laughs> out. But let's talk about Mauricio Sarri. You obviously are very high on him. He's had an excellent beginning to the season. So let's talk a little bit more about him. Yeah, so I would say the honeymoon phase with Mauricio Sarri was really extended. I mean, Sarri is an interesting guy. He definitely could be viewed as eccentric. He's not traditional. If you've seen him on the touchline, he likes to chew on cigarettes since he's not allowed to actually smoke them. Uh, he said some things back at Napoli in Naples that were quite con- controversial. It's never a boring moment with Sari. So my biggest fear with Sari was he was going to maybe not be able to adapt to the culture of England. He's actually done that, Russ, quite brilliantly. He's been very, very good. But once again, that's all been part of the honeymoon phase. He hasn't really faced much adversity because Chelsea hadn't lost up until this Saturday. So now is when things get interesting. He, he Chelsea obviously lost, and they lost in pretty profound fashion. So this is the moment. I mean, this is the moment to see how Sarri can face the questions from the media, the questions from the press, doubting Maurizio Sarri. It's been very well documented that even though Sarri had done brilliantly with Napoli, Sarri has never won a trophy. Sarri knows this. Um, People have always been in his ear about maybe some of his weaknesses are he's not a great in-game manager. He may not have great plan Bs, which uh, certainly showed against Tottenham. He really didn't have something to adjust to once Tottenham had such a good approach. And then maybe a huge problem for him last year at Napoli was lack of rotation, which I'm, I'm worrying that we're going to see that as well this year. But overall, I think... Uh, Sorry is really just focused on his best 11 or his best maybe 12 or 13 learning his system, being able to press quickly. That's something that even when Chelsea have had great wins this season, Sorry has not been very pleased with Chelsea's pressing from the attackers, from the midfielders, etc. cetera. He, he loves to press after possession loss. He obviously loves to possess it. Jorginho uh, for a while and definitely still is, was leading the Premier League and passes by quite a wide margin. It's a team that we, of course, think of Manchester City constantly possessing it with Pep Guardiola's system, but Maurizio Sarri really is no different in terms of how much possession he loves to have. Now, I'm really interested to see if he's going to make any tweaks, not necessarily to his formation or right. to his system, but have some some possible backup plans um, because Tottenham really did expose him. But like you said, maybe it was a loss that kind of needed to rattle the cage a little bit yeah. because... Russ, i got to be honest with you. I'm not the only Chelsea fan who kind of felt that loss on Saturday coming. Uh, Chelsea were starting to really play their last few games slow from the beginning. And, and Sarri even said last Friday that these slow starts are more of a mental problem. And I think it was really just down to complacency. I think the team was starting to really say, wow, this isn't that difficult. We're playing possession attacking football. This is great. We're going to just keep winning even without putting forth much effort. And I I think it finally reared its ugly head and that is complacency on Saturday. So, I mean, I still, and I know we'll talk about the Fulham game more. I I still think the Fulham game is kind of a trap game because maybe the complacency could continue from the player's standpoint and they could think, oh, well, we lost once, we won't lose again. 
But I definitely think Sari will have a different approach. In fact, he even said today he spent 10 to 15 minutes with each player on Monday after that Tottenham loss on Saturday. So Sari has definitely taken this loss seriously. So I'm very interested to see how he rebounds. I think you learn a lot about uh, a player or a manager's character after a loss. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay. And uh, let's just stick here for one second because you mentioned something very interesting Possession-based style that Sari uses. Well, Fulham under Jokanovic was possession-based as well. And something you said just struck out to me, not having a plan B. Mm. Alex, we complained about that with Savisa Jokanovic fairly often, that there was just one way and it was his way, and where was the plan B? So is this going to be a concern for you? Uh, It could be Russ. It could be because his lack of plan B could also coincide with the fact that he doesn't like to rotate a lot. Now, you know, I don't think he's really ever going to start a game with a different formation than a 4-3-3. That seems to kind of be his formation. You know, God forbid when he passes away, it might even say on his gravestone 4-3-3 was his thing. I mean, he is just known for a 4-3-3. Now, I would like an in-game adjustment to be a 4-2-3-1, which, of course, right. means Kai dropping back with Jorginho, and then you get a little bit more balanced. You would have a an Hazard at, like, a left mid or a left wing. Right. You would conceivably have a Kovacic or a Barkley at a cam position and then a William or a Pedro at right wing. But I don't, I don't ever see that being a formation that starts a game. But a plan B might just mean mid-game, in-game adjustments. Right. In-game so, adjustments. Yeah, so I, I hope that that is at least something Sorry will do. Because once again, I don't think he's ever going to get that creative and all of a sudden throw in a Callum Hudson-Odoi, who Chelsea fans love, I love, he's 18 <laughs> years old and really could provide a spark. He seems to be very reliant on Willian and Pedro. Um, and once again, I'll try to put my biases aside uh, against the Willian. I like Pedro fine, but Pedro is 31 years old. He's one of the oldest wingers in the Premier League. In fact, he's like the oldest if you don't count uh, David Silva, who doesn't play wing anymore, and I think Aaron Lennon. So Pedro is really the oldest starting winger in the Premier League, or or winger, albeit uh, completely alone. So it really it, it's tough when you're only willing to play the same characters over and over. Of course, Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud are not helping Sarri at all in the striker position. Morata is born offside. He's a player with <laughs> loads of potential that just can't seem to get it going. Sarri even called him fragile a few weeks ago. And Giroud is 32 years old. He's been around yep. the block. He's been a good Premier League striker, but he just he's not the answer. He's more of a backup. Sure. So it's tough for us. I mean, it's really tough. And, and the thing I'm starting to get worried about is – Okay, Sarri loves to build his attacks on the left-hand side. He loved to do that last year at Napoli. He likes to do that. Uh, he's been liking to do that this year at Chelsea. And it's no secret who Chelsea's best player is. It's Eden Hazard. Sure. But it's also no secret to the opposition, Russ. If, if you're starting to notice in these Chelsea games, Eden Hazard has always been, even under Mourinho and Conte, he's always been the one that the opposition's paid most attention to. I mean, he at least gets a double team. But, Russ, a double team would be generous by the opposition at this point. He is starting to see triple teams, quadruple teams, even quintuple teams at times. And it, it, there's just no balance anymore. So I really do hope Sorry figures out a way to take a little more of the burden off Eden Hazard and is able to balance out the rest of the attack because he's an attacking manager. And if he doesn't have a plan B from an attacking standpoint, then it could be a problem. So I want to bring it plan B. Yeah, I want to know what the plan B is, Russ. I'm afraid it's just being able to switch to a 4-2-3-1 mid-game because I, I don't see it being a personnel plan B. 
Okay, excellent there, my friend. All right, let's go through strengths and weaknesses. I do this each and every week. What I do, Alex, is I, I use the strengths and weaknesses in style of play from whoscore.com and see if they match up with what you know about your club. Let's see what they have to share. Let's start with strengths, Alex, and I'll also give you style of play. This is what whoscore.com says about Chelsea. Very strong at creating long shot opportunities, creating chances using through balls. Strong at creating chances through individual skill, attacking down the wings, finishing scoring chances, attacking set pieces, and defending set pieces. Style play, short passes, attempt through balls often, control the game in the opposition's half, possession football, which we've already been talking about, non-aggressive, consistent first 11, opponents play aggressively against them. So that is strengths and style of play according to whoscore.com. Does it match up? Uh, bits and pieces. I mean, the possession definitely does. I think the individual trying to create chances through individual play. I mean, let's be real. That's through Ed and Hazard trying to be brilliant. Um, the one, the one that you read a couple of times was through balls and, you know, that should, it should line up for us because Jorginho yep. is a, a good passer with through balls. Some people say he only passes side to side. That's absolute blasphemy. He definitely is good at, at given a nice through ball, but I would say that it, it hasn't been a big strength of Chelsea's this season. Uh, Conte okay. is really limited in terms of what he can do passing wise. I mean, he's fine passing a to B, but it, seeing Conte pass creatively and, and over the top through balls and on the ground through balls, that's just not really going to happen. Mateo Kovacic is a pretty damn good passer. I like to see yep. more of it though. I feel like even though Kovacic has been probably one of my, favorite players this season i still need kovacic to be more daring so i I would say the through balls should line up but i am not sure it has lined up up until this point uh attacking down the wings and that definitely lines up um but only on one side russ as i said in the last question Maurizio sorry really likes to build his attack on the left hand side now that's a reason why one of my least favorite players but i'll give him credit he's been fine this season marcos alonso is still very much preferred at left back for sorry is Marcos Alonso is a very attacking left back. In fact, you know, he really was just a left wing back for Antonio Conte. He spent plenty of time in the opposition's half. Um, So on the left-hand side, there's a reason why Kovacic is on that left-hand side and not Conte. Kovacic is better attacking-wise. So in Sarri's eyes, he can have Alonso at left back, good attacking fullback. He can have Kovacic as the left center mid, a good attacking midfielder even though he can't score but a good attacking midfielder and then Eden Hazard so he really has a fluid attack from the left-hand side I would say Marcos Alonso has been pretty damn good all season long by getting into the opposition's half even the opposition's box and and creating havoc Uh, he's scored some goals he's provided some assists he forced an own goal he's he's been good down that left-hand side so that's certainly something the opposition has to worry about now I would say on the reverse he's pretty slow so if you can catch Chelsea out of position, you can, you can maybe expose them defensively on the left-hand side. But I would definitely say attacking down the wings on the left-hand side is true. And okay. as you said, possession-based game, uh, that's certainly true. So I would say most of those line up. Um, but, you know, I think you said defending set pieces and stuff. Yep. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea have not looked great there uh, that <laughs> recently. I mean, maybe it's just the last couple of games I'm really being clouded by a couple poor sure. performances. I would say overall who scored got it right. Um, but I love who scored, but I would say they have a really tough job giving a profile on Chelsea, Russ, because I'd like to believe that 
some of their profiles uh, cross over from year to year. Like they right. haven't necessarily changed maybe a Manchester United profile because they've had Jose <laughs> Mourinho for a couple seasons. Maybe they haven't changed the Pep Guardiola profile because he's been at City for a couple seasons. With Chelsea, it's so tough because they were literally the opposite team last year. So I sure. would say some of those line up, but some of them are a little off. Okay. Let's look at weaknesses. This is what they say here. Weak, avoiding offside. You've already talked about that. <laughs> Aerial duel. Defending against long shots. This one's very interesting, Alex, the last one. Very weak. Stopping opponents from creating chances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, the offside one, Russ. I mean, Alvaro Morata, before Bournemouth had played Sunday morning, he had been offsides more than the whole Bournemouth team this season. I mean, think about that. Let that marinate. One player, who, by the (laughs) way, hasn't even started all the games because he was so poor at some point Olivier Giroud had to start. He had been offsides more than a whole entire team. That is unacceptable at this point. I mean, I'm laughing about it, but Fulham can pretty much just expect Morata to at least be offsides three times, at least three times. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the last one you read, preventing the other team from creating chances. I will come back to the Arsenal game from earlier this season where it ended up in a draw. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Chelsea were up 2 nothing, so it really was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde game. But Arsenal really should have won that game because they created so many chances. I remember Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan had some woeful misses. I mean, some terrible misses. But between Marco Alonso being slow, David Luiz being the king of brain farts, I mean, the king of brain farts, always being caught out of position, and considering the midfield is still not great defensively, yes, it is not hard to create chances against Chelsea. And that's much because, Russ, Chelsea possessed the ball a lot. We've said that a countless times so far. So once Chelsea lose possession, they're not great yet. They're, they're way behind where Napoli was last year at pressing after possession loss. So they're really, as I keep saying, they're being caught with their pants down. The midfield doesn't know where to go. Marcos Alonso has a, a hard time running back quickly. I, I wouldn't say Eden Hazard ever dogs it, but he certainly knows that he's more needed attacking-wise than defensively. Uh, Morata doesn't press great. So I would say it is it is very easy to create chances against Chelsea and Chelsea have almost been lucky up until this point. I, I actually am surprised they hadn't lost before Saturday because I would say between Kepa, Chelsea's keeper making some pretty damn good saves and just luck, uh, Chelsea probably should have conceded way more goals. So yeah, uh, you can you can be guaranteed that the Chelsea match, uh, whoever's playing them, will be fun because it won't just be Chelsea who are creating opportunities. Okay, very good there, my friend. That'll be interesting when we go through this matchup. Let's talk about key players. Obviously, we have to start with in Hazard. That's without even saying, my friend. Of course, that's your favorite player. So we start there, so I know you're going to talk about him. But I'm going to throw in two other players that we've already talked about that I think are key in this match. For a Fulham perspective, stopping Jorginho, like you mentioned, that Tottenham was able to do, and then... Conte as well. I think those are your key players. Would you agree or disagree? I totally agree. I mean, yeah, Eden Hazard is the obvious one, so I won't even spiel about him. I mean, he, he's uh, he's had uh, seven goals and four assists, so 11 goal contributions in the Premier League. But honestly, he's been a little stale these last few games. Uh, once again, I think much of that is due to the attention he's now receiving from the opposition. But in totally being objective, he definitely hasn't been and an Azar that we knew from the beginning of the season. But yeah, I'm really interested, Russ, to see what Jorginho and Conte do, how they play. Jorginho, 
I'm not saying I, I don't even know how active he is on social media. I don't think he's that active, uh, yeah. although he does love Snapchat. But I'm sure he knows that people are talking about him this week. I mean, he definitely knows that some fans and some pundits even have been questioning can Jorginho be effective in the Premier League? Now, I think that's a massive overreaction, but I think he definitely knows he was not good against Tottenham. He was not very good against Everton before the international break. And he clearly knows that the oppositions are now keying in on him. So I am really interested to see how Jorginho and Conte play. Does Conte drop back when Chelsea are defending? How is Jorginho in terms of how much space does Jorginho have when Chelsea are possessing the ball, hopefully in the opponent's half? Uh, I, I honestly think it's so cut and dry that you could say if Jorginho, as long as Jorginho does not have a bad game, if Jorginho has anything close to an average or above average game, Chelsea should be in the driver's seat. doesn't guarantee that they'll win, but they should be the one getting the more chances and dictating play and at least acting, acting like the better team because Jorginho really is still key to everything they do. And, and I also, Russ, you know, you mentioned Conte. I hope Conte also, you know, Conte is a hard worker. If any, you know, he's probably like, the most lovable player for rival Premier League fans. No one can really hate on N'Golo Conte. It's just so clear. He just works his butt off, and he's just down to do whatever the manager asks of him. Now, I assume Conte knows that Maurizio Sarri thinks he got a little too attacking happy this last Saturday. So it'll be very interesting to see the adjustments that Jorginho and Conte make. So I think if we're going for three key players, I think you nailed them. Eden Hazard because obviously he's the one who creates everything for Chelsea, but then Jorginho and Conte, who, who really need to make the midfield so much more formidable. Okay, excellent. Before we move on, I have to concede something to you, Alex. I was wrong about our whole argument last year. We were going through this argument between De Bruyne and Hazard, which player was more important to their team, and I was wrong here. It's Aiden Hazard, because as you kept telling me over and over again, Manchester City can just plug someone else in and the train keeps going. It's not the same with Chelsea. So I am going to say, I can't believe I'm going to do this on my own show. I was wrong, Alex. <laughs> that's that's very big of you, Russ. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's move on. Let's now focus on Fulham. It's a Fulham show. So let's start with getting your thoughts on Claudio Ranieri. Ah, I love Claudio Ranieri. First of all, I mean... Yeah, was one of my first impressions of Ranieri, what he did with Leicester City, sure. But I think once I saw how spectacular what he did with Leicester City was, I, you know, I was much more interested in who he was and his background. And I, I've, I mean, he's got ties to Chelsea. I am definitely a fan of Claudio Ranieri. Um, it seems just like a nice, I hate to be sappy here, but he just kind of seems like a nice, sweet guy as well. He didn't, he visited the Chelsea grounds not too long ago and, Many of the players, uh, of course, N'Golo Conte and Danny Drinkwater, who knew him from Leicester City, but even Eden Hazard uh, had a nice relationship with him because if you'll remember, Leicester City locked up the Premier League title that year when Eden Hazard scored a goal against Spurs, and Spurs were hot on Leicester well, City's heels. So, yeah, Ranieri had kind of a, a cheeky embrace with Eden Hazard, kind of <laughs> thanking him for scoring that goal. Um, and, you know, it, it was not a good season for Eden Hazard, but Hazard jokes, hey, I, I won two titles two years in a row. I just won one for Leicester City instead of Chelsea. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Fulham obviously did not get off to the start that they had hoped with Yukonovich. Uh, I, I thought Yukonovich would do better. I, I certainly wore that one on Twitter because, Russ, you'll remember that, there were some rumors, at least light rumors, about Jokanovic going to Chelsea. 
And um, from everything I was hearing from you, but way beyond you, I mean, just anything I was hearing about the guy, it sounded like he'd be kind of a sneaky good pick for Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I, I was wrong about that one. And I've not been bashful about wearing that one on Twitter. I, I can be wrong quite often, but I think Claudio Ranieri is, is kind of the guy you want to bring in to stabilize a team. I think when you look at Fulham's team sheet, and I had tweeted about this a couple times when Fulham yep. were just off to not a great start. You look at the players they acquired during the summer. They obviously were, were, were pretty active in the summer. And then obviously just the fact that they already had some good players on their team, starting, of course, with Ryan Sessegnon. But even beyond that, I was just shocked about you know the start they got off to. So I think when you have an abnormal amount of talent for maybe a team that just came up from the championship, you, you don't necessarily need to bring in a, a groundbreaking manager. I think you bring in a manager who's able to bring stability to a club. And I feel like, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Claudio Ranieri is a perfect guy to stabilize things. Maybe he can't bring you oh, from, agree. yeah, maybe he can't bring you from B to C, but he can bring you from A to B. I think he can definitely stabilize a team and, and at least get more talent, more production out of the talent that he has. And I think and, that's uh, the number one thing, yeah. Alex, is to get the most out of the players. Nothing against uh, Savisa. I'm a huge fan of Savisa. I did not want him to be replaced I do like who they replaced him with, so I wanted to say that with this. But I liked everything that Savisa gave Fulham, and this has been a difficult time for me. But to bring in someone like Ranieri, and I've already seen the results from it, they are playing together as a team, whereas under Jokanovic, they were playing more like individuals. So I think over a period of time, we're going to see that get even better and better. And um, he keeps talking about fighting spirit, and that's exactly what we saw in the last half. So for me, it's a change, and I think it's a positive change so far. Yeah. You know, I obviously the fact that you guys won at the weekend and just the fact that Ryan Sessegnon had a good game, I think that's – I think that is really a product of, of – of course, I'm viewing it as an outsider, but I definitely think that is a product of Ranieri and – getting the most out of his players. I mean, it's so frustrating when you have talent and the manager can't seem to bring it out of the players. And yeah, maybe Jokanovic also was a victim of not really having any other way than the one way he knew. But I also think the experience that Claudio Ranieri has as a champion manager of a Premier League team, really the most miraculous championship, Russ, you and I have ever seen. I think the fact that he has that background he has that experience those games I I don't know if you remember but those games were so big every time Leicester took the pitch that year the narrative was kind of like okay if they win now they're probably going to win it and every week as every week went on you know Tottenham was still hanging around people were still having a hard time believing that Leicester City would actually win it so I think every even though like they were one of the best teams almost right out of the gate and they were really good all season long Leicester City They had doubters every single week. So all of those games, and of course they weren't in the Champions League that year. It was the following year once they won the Premier League that they had to deal with more competition. So every Premier League fixture felt like a huge one for Leicester City. So Claudio Ranieri is no stranger to a a pressure situation and having 
one Premier League game feel like it's more than one Premier League game. And and maybe he can view the fact that he took a Fulham team that was really struggling and that obviously wants to stay in the Premier League. Maybe he will view that very similar to how he viewed those big games for Leicester City a few years back. And I think he can handle the pressure. I, I don't think that's something Fulham fans should be at all concerned about. He definitely has been around the block. And I, I would feel quite comfortable going into battle with Claudio Ranieri. Okay, excellent. And uh, right back to you, we're focusing now on Fulham, and they have changed their style, Alex, from the possession base that we saw in Yukonovic to, I would say, more of a counterattacking style. So what are your thoughts about such a change in uh, approach from Fulham? Well, I mean, yeah, that's interesting, especially since they're starting the season with a whole different you know, plan. And then, you know, if, if they go from possession base to counterattacking, that could be tough on the players because you go through preseason and you go through the beginning of the season going one style and then you sack the manager and then you flip it upside down. But, you know, looking at Fulham's team, I, I feel like they have the players to play that system. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but they kind of played more of a four-two-three-one. I want to say on Saturday or, or, or at least somewhat like that. Um, and I think, I think it's with, funny, Alex, we talked yeah, about this on the last show. Yep. Some think it was a four-two-three-one. Some think it was a four-four-two, morphing into actually a four-four-one-one. It could have been a few different styles throughout the match. But um, what's interesting about this is that Tom Kearney played much higher up the pitch next to Mitro, and uh, that was just something new that we haven't seen. But this, to me, was more about getting the defense straight and then getting their chances when they would get it, and they were actually very effective. When they had the opportunity, they only had 37% possession, Alex, Yeah, which is amazing for Fulham to only have that least amount of possession. But what's interesting is what they did with it. And there was a lot of this one-touch passing. They still have the ability to pass the ball, but it's much quicker and it's much more incisive. So that's something that has been a change that I think you might see some, hopefully, against Chelsea. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like they have the artillery to, to do that. And you you saying that some perceive it as a four two three one, some perceive it as a four four two, some perceive it as a four four one one, whatever it is, that's right there admitting that, okay, well, it's certainly not the stagnant one-way approach that Jokanovic had. So right there and then, I mean, it, it shows that they can be more adaptable to the situation. And counterattacking uh, football can be quite effective, especially yeah. when you have players like Ryan Sessegnon and Andre Sherla and Mitrovic, who, who just scores. I mean, he's a goal scorer. The rest, there are many uh, Chelsea fans who would take a Mitrovic in, over a Marat in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, because the one thing we want out of Alvaro Marata is just to put the stinking ball in the back of the onion bag. And it seems like it, it's, it's too hard for Marata to think about how to score Mitrovic, to me, I mean, this is me watching him more last season than necessarily yep. this season, but Mitrovic, to me, seems like much more of an instinctive score and just a guy oh, yeah. who just, yeah, he just wants to score goals. He knows he's a striker, and that's his purpose, is to score goals. Yep. Um, and I think having Jean-Michael Sarri, you know, a little bit behind uh, a Sherla and a Sessegnon and a Tom Kearney, I don't think that's the worst idea, even though, I mean, I know that Jean-Michael Sarri is not necessarily a CDM. He, he's not a defensive midfielder no, per not. se, because when I, you know, this all comes back full circle, Russ, when I had done that video, my first ever Twitter, Twitter video talking yep. about Jean-Michael Sarri, 
one of the big exceptions I had with what many Chelsea fans were saying was, and this is ludicrous now, but they were saying, oh, you know, maybe we can sell N'Golo Conte now. Not that they don't like N'Golo Conte, but they knew that PSG were kind of knocking on yep. the door for N'Golo Conte, thinking about offering just an outrageous fee. So right. some Chelsea fans were like, well, maybe we'll cash in on him because we might have a new manager who plays attacking football. Maybe we won't want Conte as much or we'll want to get the funds. And then Jean-Michael Sarri can come in, who's a little more offensive, but can do the same role. And I was like, what? And Jean-Michael Sarri had a, you know, a nice player at Nice, a nice player, good pastor. Um, but was never a defensive midfielder. And one of his actually, you know, when I looked at his profile on whoscored.com last year, his weakness was tackling. Does that sound anything like N'Golo Conte? No, no, it does not. But I think if you give Jean-Michael Sarri some freedom, some ability to dictate, some ability to do one-touch passing with the players that we both mentioned forward, uh, I think he can be quite effective. So I kind of like the way Fulham are, are lining up now. And I, I definitely think... You know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I definitely think that Fulham have the pieces to create some chances. And as you said, be fine because Chelsea are probably going to possess it more no matter what your style is. Sure. If Fulham are clinical, Fulham are clinical. And, and they could take three opportunities and still win if Chelsea have 10 opportunities. So uh, it probably does come down to like a Mitrovic or a Sherla or even a Sessegnon being clinical, but I think they can do it. Okay, very good. Okay, let's go through this quick. This is my section of matchups. Which team has the advantage? So let's do this a little rapid fire here, my friend. Fulham's attack versus Chelsea's defense. Who do you give the advantage to? Yeah, Fulham's attack. Fulham's attack for sure. Uh, they're they're catching Chelsea at a bad moment, in my opinion. Now, the the defender I trust the most in Chelsea's back four is Antonio Rudiger, who. It definitely is becoming one of the better Premier League center backs, in my opinion. He's definitely in his prime. He's very good in the air. He's uh, pretty good physically, and he just has great passion and great, really is a classic center back. He's definitely their best overall defender, in my opinion. Now, in years past, I would have said Cesar Spilicueta, who was a dynamite center back in a back three or a back five, depending on how you look at it with Antonio Conte. Also, was a good left back randomly for Mourinho when they won the Premier League with Mourinho. Um, but he's back in his natural position at right back, and he is not doing well. He is not doing well at all. Even defensively, he's not doing well. So if that's um, if that's Ryan Sessegnon going at Cesar Spilicueta, I give the advantage to Sessegnon all day, all day. Okay. I mean, the, the pace that Sessegnon has will be a problem for Spilicueta. So the only defender I really have confidence in against Fulham is – Antonio Rudiger, but I absolutely can see Mitrovic being a problem for even both Rudiger and Luis at times, but especially yeah. David Luis. David Luis gets lost, and I think Mitrovic <laughs> might have a good opportunity to take advantage of that. I hope so there, my friend. All right, let's flip it real quick. Chelsea's attack versus Fulham's defense. Well, this is no slight to Fulham's defense. It really isn't, but Chelsea's attack should be yeah. the one having the advantage. Eden Hazard should be totally up for this game. He's not included tomorrow in the Europa League fixture. He has a small injury, but he's even training. So he's fully ready to go for that Premier League fixture, it looks like. He's no stranger to the fact that he's been on a little bit of a dry spell. He should be roaring and rearing to go. Uh, Morata, I mean, Russ, he can't be offsides as many times as he was in the last two games. So by law of averages, he should be offsides a little less, and he should still have opportunities based on Chelsea possessing the ball. Uh, he should still have opportunities to score. And with Morata, even if he scores, it doesn't mean we're going to love him and think he's the striker for the future. Sure. But just by, once again, law of averages, he should 
he should get a goal. He really should because they create opportunities. And it probably is Willian at right wing. Uh, I'm going to be nice player. here. <laughs> Willian is a creative player. In fact, he's doing very well in the created chances category. He's near the top. Uh, by the way, much of that is due to the fact that he takes corners, but I'll leave that aside. Um, you have to a give very, a dig. You just have to. <laughs> I had to. I had to. Um, but, you know, he, he's definitely a dangerous dribbler, Willian. He can yeah. interchange with Azard. I think that's definitely a strength of Chelsea. So it could be a problem for Fulham if they see all of a sudden Azard on the right and Willian on the left. That's something that does normally cause problems for the opposition. Willian's problem is the end product. But once again, law of averages, Willian has only had two goals and two assists. So you'd like to believe that between Willian and Morata, one of them will find a way to poke through a goal. I will give a slight advantage to Chelsea's attack. Okay, okay. You just had to go at Willian. Anyone that knows Alex knows that he is constantly complaining against Willian. So I'll just share that real quick. Who is the coaching advantage? This is very interesting. Oh, I'm going to say, I want to, I want to be boring Russ and say it's a wash because, because sorry has definitely um, a more important and a more obvious task on his hands than maybe last week. Uh, Sorry even kind of admitted that he wasn't going to change something until it was broken. He, he, He kind of said after the Tottenham loss that, well, we knew we had problems and which, and, and I read that as, okay, I wasn't really going to make any switches until we finally lost the game. Okay, fine. You lost the game. Now where are your switches? What are you going to do? Are you going to have a backup uh, plan B? And, and I think Sarri is a good enough manager that he will be much better prepared because Pochettino absolutely outclassed him on Saturday. Don't get it twisted. Maurizio Sarri, sure, the players lost to Tottenham, but Maurizio Sarri lost to Pochettino. Now, I really like Claudio Ranieri. I, I still think, though, Sorry, probably has closer to the advantage because Chelsea should have a fire under their butt. But yep. once again, uh, Ranieri is going to get a, 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 at least an average amount out of his players and hopefully, for Fulham's case, an above average amount out of his players. So I'm going to call it a wash, Russ. They've both, okay. they, they've both been around the block. They both know each other actually quite well. I'm going to think it's a, I think it's a very, very even managerial matchup. Excellent. All right, let's go to my section of predictions first. How do each team win this match? Let's start with Chelsea. How do they win, Alex? Well, Chelsea win two ways. Two ways. These are the two keys to the game for Chelsea. They have to have more midfield continuity, meaning uh, attacking-wise, obviously, they got to give Jorginho more space. But defensively, they have to be more collective and cohesive. So midfield continuity is huge, especially for Sarri's system. And they have to have individual brilliance. They absolutely have to have individual brilliance, uh, whether that's Azard or not. They have to have midfield continuity and individual brilliance. Okay. How do Fulham win this match? It's funny. I have did a show yesterday, and we're basically talking about a performance against Chelsea. That's the way myself and my co-host were looking at it. We don't have uh, really high hopes for this match. But through your eyes, how can Fulham win this match? Uh, Ross, I'm going to give you a nice analogy here because I'm sure your Cottage Talk listeners know that you are a New England Patriots fan. And I assume at some point they've known that. So um, I think Fulham stay in this game, maybe steal a point, maybe even three by doing what the New England Patriots always try to do or not to do. And that's just don't shoot themselves in the foot. If Fulham don't make any catastrophic mistakes, they don't beat themselves. I think Fulham stay in the game. And I think the way Fulham could possibly win the game is like you said, if they just take advantage of a few opportunities, they don't need to be producing opportunities for the full 90 minutes. If they can just take advantage of the opportunities they create, 
once or twice, they can be a much more difficult opponent for Chelsea than some may realize. Okay, very good. All right, time for your prediction. All right, well, I, I'm definitely a stranger predictions. I'm very shy with predictions. Never like to do them on Twitter. Never like to do them on YouTube. But I'll do it just because I am on your show, Cottage Talk. I'm Thanks, going so. to say that Chelsea squeak by with a 2-1 victory. I don't think it's going to be easy, Russ. I think it's going to be a much tougher game, as I just said, than some Chelsea or Fulham fans may predict. I think it's going to be quite cagey, actually, even though there could be some fluidity to the attacking uh, part of the game. And I think whether Chelsea come back from being down, I think Chelsea just squeak by in the end 2-1. Wow. Alex, I'm actually going to go 3-1 to to Chelsea. I'm not optimistic about this. I just think that this is a match where I just want to see how Fulham play within the team unit and see how they can deal with the team of the level of Chelsea. So I'm going to go with three to one. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that your prediction is closer to how the match plays out of two to one. I, I would be happier with that, but I'm going to go with three to one to Chelsea. All right. Great show, my friend. I thoroughly enjoyed this, Alex. Thank you for doing this with me. Russ, pleasure uh, being the first time guest for myself on Cottage Talk. Once again, as I said at the top, absolutely love the show. Definitely love all the support you give me. So means a lot that uh, you could invite me on. And I would definitely love to return the favor on my YouTube channel uh, whenever's fit for you. Happy to do that, Alex. Before we go, just tell everyone how they can follow you on Twitter, which is very important. And also about your YouTube channel and also about your other podcast, Couch Land, which you are a producer of. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Goldberg underscore. Pretty straightforward, Alex Goldberg underscore. And proceed with caution. I can be quite in your face on Twitter. And then <laughs> my my YouTube channel is called The Byline, just like the byline on the pitch in football. So that's quite straightforward there on YouTube. And then, yeah, the podcast, the Couch Land podcast hosted by David Amoyal. It is a Serie A-focused uh, podcast, as you said at the top. We do venture out and talk about transfers during the transfer windows, January and summer windows, as David is quite in the know with the DiMarzio camp and transfers. But yeah, that's where you can find me, the YouTube channel and the podcast and the Twitter account. Okay, fantastic, Alex. This has been great. Unfortunately, it is time to wrap it up. For my guest, Alex Goldberg, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. The share it with a friend deal even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So, yeah, I used the savings from switching to Progressive 50 years ago to finally buy my dream car. It's a self-driving flying car, but we just say self-flying now. You know, because it's the future, and cars fly in the future. So switch to Progressive and save big, because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping 
and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.